Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Okay. <laughs> I was literally just making fun of Kurt. So, I mean, what else is new? But What a surprise. We were just talking about our podcast in general, and he actually said the word Wellbutrin correctly. Yes, I have a slight speech impediment when it comes to that word. That's not really an impediment. It's just, you know. Okay, I say it wrong. I do think we should probably go listen to that one and maybe update it. I think we probably should. Retape it in another version. Yeah, it's the most popular uh, episode we ever taped. It's yeah. The it's safe. Like, we need to go back to the safe drugs or not. So people, if you have things you want us to, to talk about or certain medications or drugs or all the ones that we did that you want us to maybe review any of the things, questions, feedback, answers or answers, <laughs> please email us at, you know, it's the addiction connection podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. We did get an amazing email that I you haven't told me about. You know why? Because I got it and I am a horrible human. So I apologize. You know who you are. I literally spaced it for a month. It's all about meth psychosis. Oh, so. So they listened to that one. They listened to that one. Had a lot of personal questions related to a uh, personal situation. So I love that. Please, everybody, don't hesitate. And again, we are going to start doing some board review things, board review questions. So if you guys have questions, we're going to try to incorporate like a question of the day or podcast or multiple, but y'all have to ask questions. So today we are doing the last, thank goodness, uh, sugar addiction chat. And I'm just about sugared out, just to be clear. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, we did a lot on suicide, which was frankly That's why we difficult. This was my executive decision to, to do the last sugar one this week after yeah. three weeks of suicide. This is um, like 14 sugar addiction, 14th sugar addiction. I don't talk. even know. I think it's the fifth, but. Yeah. And then we're going to get away from sugar. So everybody just stay cool. For now. We're never, we're never talking about sugar again. <laughs> well, when we do have Sam Quinones, when we get to go chat with him, you know, it is in the book, The Least of Us. He talks about sugar. There's a chapter on sugar addiction. So maybe, oh, maybe. Anyway, so today, the last part of sugar addiction is probably, I don't, I don't think I've actually said this before, but it's probably my favorite part because it's more of the, what does everything we just said with all the fancy words mean? And what does it look like? And what about human studies versus rat studies? Yeah, let's get to humans. The rat thing. I, I'm, yeah, no okay, more well, rat stuff. We are going to start at rats really quickly. Okay. So this is kind of the final of things that make sugar addiction very comparable to drug or substance addiction or use. So behavioral sensitization. I mean, that kind of makes a ton of sense. So you kind of that's your habit almost. It's that your body kind of gets into that habit of doing something with something present. So driving your car, I'm going to behaviorally stop the liquor store. You know, it's, it's the patients who say, but I see the exit and I turn my car. Mm. You're just, it's kind of ingrained. So relate that to sugar. Um, 
you walk down an aisle at the groceries or at the gas station and go to the wax donuts. No, <laughs> I, I don't yes. usually. Yes, you do. I mean, sometimes our Swiss rolls will be ahead of those. But and then you stand there and debate with them in your hands and get both. Instead of getting two Swiss rolls, then you get one of each. There's something about a Swiss roll. Anyway, and then cross-sensitization. This is also interesting. So especially with certain substances, you know, if you look at substances themselves, THC and morphine can, a patient who, um, or a rat, rat, excuse me, who likes THC can actually get some of that same experience from morphine or one will kind of play off the other. Why are you making a face? <laughs> I just, it's, I'm just picturing a rat like smoking marijuana and then, you know, snorting a little morphine or shooting it. Yeah. Well, similar with cocaine and alcohol. Yeah. So those things kind of cross-react. Cross-react. So, you know, I'm going to just to touch on the sugar with the rats. Amphetamines actually cross-sensitize to sugar in rats. So it's kind of that same mm. concept of you're sensitive to both. Um if you're using a 10% sucrose solution. So okay. a higher sugar content has kind of that same effect. You know, you kind of get that same feeling as if you were using amphetamines, at least to rats. Well, it's interesting that it, you know, you get in your notes here how, how sucrose intake enhances the behavioral sensitization of both cocaine and ethanol. And I can see, you know, I mean, when we back up to that other thing where it's like, well, the cross-reactivity cross or sensitization of cocaine and ethanol. Well, we often talk about ethanol and cocaine and how mm -hmm. people use them together because cocaine turns into cocaethylene. Yes. That's a board question. Yeah, ding, 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 Patrick. <laughs> That's a board question. You take your boards tomorrow. Yeah. Cocaethylene is more potent than either alone. Yeah. Or it just, it continues the, the feeling. Correct. So if you are looking at human research... Oh, let's finally get to humans. humans. So research has been shown to explain the progressive nature of drug use. So how this is that whole use begets use thing. Yep. You know, if you have a history of alcohol use disorder and then, you know, you're in recovery, but then you're at higher risk of a subsequent use disorder. Same kind of deal. And it has a lot to do with triggers and cues. And maybe I'm not going to use that substance and I'm going to use this one. Um, the same kind of coping things. But in the brain, the brain says, okay, now I'm going to really like that substance. So basically you're saying that sugar addiction, like drug addiction, there's that same kind of use begets use. So if you have some sugar, you'll want more sugar. And you can also be triggered to eat sugar. Yeah. I mean, you see that commercial of the Swiss rolls, boom. Correct. Huh. And much like the heritability of use, you know, we always say, you know, 50% of substance use disorders is heritable. There is a difference in humans and their likelihood of becoming addicted to sugar or preferring sugar. And this is always interesting to me because I've had friends who would walk by everything in the candy aisle or, you know, Skittles because they'd rather have a bag of chips. So they're like the salty people. Ah. And then there's people like myself who could just live in my canister of sugar. And so in certain people, there is this difference in the response of your dopamine system to sugar. 
So people like myself, I have a heightened dopamine response to sugar intake versus someone who is like a salty person. Mm. Salty not isn't like a negative derogatory terminology to describe somebody, but you know, prefer salty. Food. And when I think about it, and when I go on a bit of a Swiss roll binge, the first couple you get quite a bit of like it feels great. Mm-hmm. By about the third or fourth pack, you know, it's just you you don't get the same. Are you pleasure. just eating it just to finish the package now? You think it's going to taste good, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Okay, so the whole gateway hypothesis, and it's so interesting because you can get into a debate with anybody on this whole is THC, marijuana, is that a gateway drug? What I find interesting, and this is all I'm going to say about this, is if you talk to the regular people in the, you know, like in the community, so people who don't work in addiction world, people who don't have use disorders, just the people, Mm -hmm. and then you talk to somebody who's in recovery, I would say 80% of my patients that I see in our clinic agree that marijuana is a gateway drug. I would say the same. If not higher. Yeah. But a lot of them feel like then after they've stopped other substances, they can use marijuana. And I I have a lot of those. Mm -hmm. And they use some and they feel like they can control it, which... I am always worried about. I and see mine lately. We've this has come up a lot lately with patients. You know, there's always these trends. This topic and then alcohol. Can you drink alcohol if yeah. you're an opioid use disorder? This has been a huge topic. How about rats? Can rats do? No, never mind. No, but this is this is that whole. <laughs> that well, was, they call it consumatory cross sensitization. So you know, cannabinoids lead to other drugs, whether it's because of availability or the brain kind of wanting more. A change, something new. So interesting, and this is a, a this patient of mine brought this up the other day, and I was like, okay, good thing we're probably going to do this podcast soon. You already knew this, but sugar-dependent rats, so rats that are like addicted to sugar, so they would go through withdrawal if you stopped letting them have sugar, um, and they are forced to abstain from sugar will actually increase their intake of alcohol. Hmm. Do they gamble too? That was a you know, joke. No, it, it, that's a good... You know, <laughs> do they smoke too then? No, they, they, um, they like go to a casino and start gambling. I was thinking, you know, the, but, the country song, you only smoke when you drink. So now they're also... Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> no, so sugar actually can, in some research people, is a gateway to alcohol. And this is in the least of us. And they say it a lot more eloquently, of course. But there's actually research out there. So people who... Our sugary people tend to be people who also are at higher risk of alcohol dependence. Is there much data about people like me who are sugary people who are just good people? You know, anyway, let's talk about the rats. <laughs> so we back to the rats. Um, so, you know, I just can't even, oh my gosh, we just worked today and this is, yeah. Anyway, so dopamine responds, you know, responds likely to palatable things. So if you like it, you get the dopamine thing. That's that's kind of 101 here. I get that. Um, if you only consume sugar intermittently, it doesn't kind of, you don't get tolerant to it. It kind of goes up and down. So if you only had a Swiss cake, well, and you, I mean, you don't just eat the wax donuts every day. Don't call them wax donuts. They're chocolate donuts. They're, the, they're, they're what? Everybody who listens, we should do a survey. If you call them wax donuts, you know those little like, 
donuts, I think is what they say on the outside of the package. Sorry if you are the maker of them, but the chocolate on them is waxy. Oh, it's so good. But anyway. Anyway, so you don't, if you ate them every day, you probably wouldn't have that same rush. You'd be and like, I don't. Neh. No, but you eat them when we travel and you definitely. I'm stressed out mm -hmm. by being annoyed. Yep. Mm. And then you continue to eat sugar. If, if you're eating sugar all the time, you will go through withdrawal, which will then make you eat more sugar. So No, you said it would make thing. me then drink alcohol if, if I stopped. stopped it. Oh, well, okay. that's if you're not allowed to have sugar. You are a human who has the ability to go get sugar. Okay. I have a question, but I'm not even going to go down that rabbit okay. hole. So dopamine. Okay, huh? maybe I am going to. This is just a hypothetical. Okay, in jails. I'm going there. So jails, how which percentage of pe people in a county jail have some type of addiction? I mean, we don't even have to say number. Just it's guess, at least whatever. Half. Yeah, at least probably more than that. Yeah, but anyway, it is more than that. But it's what, more than half. What is in commissary? You know, the food that they can buy with their own money. It's carbs. all sugar. Yep, sugar. I carbs. wonder if that's to kind of help. No, I'm just kidding. Huh. Okay, so let's compare sugar to cocaine. Everyone's favorite comparison. So cocaine upregulates the mu receptors. Increased binding of the DA and the D1 receptors, which also subsequently decreases the dopamine D2 receptors. Mm. Increase receptors and D1 decreases D2. Sugar does the same darn thing as cocaine with the receptors and the dopamine binding in the brain. I wonder, you know, because cocaine is typically used sporadically. So is this a, you know, this is somebody who uses sporadically. I'm, I'm guessing it's that same thing with sugar. Okay, now I just had to come up with a new word. I won't be able to do it on the spot here, but maybe. Okay. So cocaine is similar to sugar, right? Well, and it seems to have you, the same effect. If you combine it with alcohol, it gets more potent. It's called cocaethylene. If you're addicted to sugar and you take away sugar, you're more likely to drink alcohol. So is there like a sucaethylene? Yeah, that's hilarious. See how I came up with that? But hey. I, it makes no sense in my mind because I'm thinking very rationally but go you just go with it just go with it okay back to humans okay um this this irritates me a little i wish i would have actually known this before i got pregnant but for looking at human studies obviously we can't do a bunch of you know human human studies because of ethics and stuff oh. so if S suddenly you're ethical okay keep going high sugar and high fat diets when pregnant back to rats but mm. we're going to extrapolate here. Actually can transfer that sugar love onto their, you know, fetus. What? So there's literally an epigenetic component of transferring sugar addiction. Mm. So it's not just the environment. So, you know, you've seen families and the families all eat bad foods, their, their children are larger and all of that. And you're, you, you typically, if you're seeing them like well children or, you know, family medicine, it's, it's all what you're putting on the plate. Well, mm. it's not all that it's, there's epigenetic components. So even if you were to take a child, you know, and it was adopted out to a family that ate, you know, green things only, it will still have a propensity for sugar due to the genetic. Well, that makes perfect sense to me because my father, you know, the state patrolman, when I would get in his car, he always had candy bars. So <laughs> I think he he basically doomed me. I'm going to say this part for my sister, Molly. Yeah. Because our mom 
would eat M&M's. M- M- She's weird. She'd take the big bag of M&M's. This was all she ate and eat them in pairs, like two red ones, mm. two yellow ones. You couldn't eat. Even if I was a kid wanting like, mom, can I have some M&M's? No, you'd have to like eat Sneak them in em. pairs. Oh. And whenever she'd get to the bottom of the bag, if there's anything left over, she'd put it into the next bag. You don't just eat a single color. Oh, interesting. And if it ever ended that it ended at the end of a bag where everything had matched out, like it would be. That scarred you. No, it'd be like a fancy celebration party. Mm. Anyway. So anyway, yeah. But of course, this is maternal influence. And that was my dad. I don't recall my mom eating. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess to, half of your genetics, though, are related to your dad. And I'm, I'm just like the bars. whole intrauterine exposure. Okay. Um, okay, so hormonal variations. And this is still more related to the maternal influences. So we're talking insulin, leptin, ghrelin. We talked about this in one of the first couple sugar addiction talks. Yeah, like six months ago. So these hormones interact with the development of the reward system. So, you know, mm. the reptilian brain. So in your fetus, these hormones float through mom's system, excuse me, depending on what she's eating, impact the babies, the don't, fetuses. Don't worry. We'll, we'll fix that when we, that little pause you had there. We'll no, edit we won't. that out. No, oh, we no, won't. No, we won't. So underfeeding and overfeeding impacts the offspring via the dopamine and opioid systems. Hmm. As the reward system, so, so you can be you can be messed up by your mom. That's what that's the bottom line here. If your mom's a, a wow. sugar junkie while you're while you're intrauterine, we got some trouble. Oh my gosh! Blame your mom. Oh man. Okay, so more human research. Actually, the one big study, human research study. Although we're going to do a podcast once on the Minnesota starvation study because it's not really addiction, but it kind of. Ugh. Do you remember this? Yeah, but we're not doing that for a while. That was like World War One. How do you? Well, I guess you are old. Anyway, so <laughs> the Yale food addiction scale. This is like the one semi. Well, it is yeah. Yale. It's Yale. Yale. I feel like I should like change clothes into something more like yachting or something. Okay. So it <laughs> here's the here's the. Um, the prevalence of people who have food addiction, according to the ZL food addiction scale, is 5.4% to 56%, with the mean prevalence of 19.9%. Huh. So That's it, uh, pretty wide. It's pretty wide, but so is a lot of the other scales we've used. But it basically, it closely matches is the prevalence of other legal drugs, like alcohol and tobacco. Interesting. So the legal things, I mean, you can't like make sugar illegal. Huh. Yeah, that's probably true. You, you were gonna say something, and then well, you I mean, I'm just thinking about squirrel in your basement. Well, it's this whole, it's this whole, you know, food thing, and then we we think about. I just had a friend who was over in Europe, and you know, nobody over there is obese. They just didn't see any. My running partner was over there. He said everybody was thin. So why is that? It's interesting because there's so many things that speculate. Why that. aren't there food addicted people there? Sugar people. Did he go to the grocery store and look at the different levels of processing? I'll have him do that next time. Okay. Okay, let's move on. Anyway, so um, more human kind of thoughts and research on this is that, of course, back to this whole dysfunction of the reward system, um, and that does drive obesity. However, there is this very distinct difference between food addiction and obesity. 
So you can have oh. a sugar slash food addiction and obviously could be obese, but you could be obese without a food or sugar addiction. If you run a lot, that's what's keeping me okay. <laughs> no, but you have the, well, right. No, but I'm saying you can be obese without having a food addiction, which is oh. a little bit more c- confusing to think about. That is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this has to do with neuropsychological reward thingies and biochemical changes. Could you say neuropsychological a little slower? It was neurobiological. Oh, okay. Oh, no, it was neuropsychological. Whatever. So there's a lot of factors. Let's just say it's biopsychosocial like everything else. So, mm. but sugar is the highestly, highestly. No, that's the highest, definitely not a word. What's the better word? It's the most correlated. Most correlated um, with sugar and ob- or food addiction and obesity versus people who consume more fats versus more flours versus the amount of food. So even mm. mass quantities of food does not necessarily equate food addiction and or obesity. But sugar itself is the highest correlation. Interesting. So that all being said, I'm not telling anyone to give up any one thing. Are we done yet? There's one last little touch here on food and sugar addiction with eating disorders. So primarily when we're talking food and sugar addiction, we're talking more binge eating disorder and then bulimia, which is, you know, when you have the purging things. Patients with bulimia actually meet 96% of the criteria for food addiction. Mm. So it's a whole binging, but then the compulsory purging. Yep. Interestingly, people with just straight binge eating disorder who don't have the compulsions, all they do is eat, only 50% of them meet the criteria for food addiction. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that very, very different? Like bizarre in your head. It's it's a little bit more complicated, I think. Like it doesn't make sense straight up. What what would it mean if you wake up and you're surrounded by wrappers of Swiss rolls and you don't remember anything? <laughs> Do you want me to explain why I think that this these numbers are yes. the way they are? Yes. So well, the whole, is this your hold it? Is this your opinion? Well, no. It's it's actually like a, a scientific thought. Okay. It's, it's actually like an intellectual. Well, then it was somebody else's postulate. idea. No, okay. it's actually not. It just came to me, and if I read it somewhere, I apologize to whoever author this was. But so, if you're thinking addiction or you use disorders, right? Yeah. Part of addiction is the the guilt and the remorse, or yep. then then you. And then it, it leads to that cycle, which then leads you to do it again because you're guilty and it's that whole cycle, yeah, right? Yeah. That is what bulimia is. You binge, then you have that sense of guilt and whatever. You do the compulsory action purging or whatever, yep. which then you end up binging again. So it fits the cycle versus binge eating disorder. They're just binge eating. They don't really care. There isn't a There isn't that shame or remorse or that aspect of it, so it doesn't qualify for more of the addiction aspect i hear you and now you're thinking dang she was kind of smart there it was a i would drop my mic but it was expensive it was uh, just a moment a short moment in time there okay but then there are (laughs) different subtypes of bulimia nervosa so some people who are hypo responsive to reward so meaning even if you're bulimic where you're doing the binging and then the purging sometimes the reward so the thing that should give you the dopamine surge yeah you just you don't even have that good rush you're literally binging just to binge there's no like pleasurable sensation there so that's more similar to anorexia nervosa 
Oh, this is, you're just going way over my head. And then there's the <laughs> subtype of hypersensitive reward circuitry, which is, it tastes good, so I'm going to keep eating it and keep, it's you with the Swiss cake rolls where you're like, it's good, and I think it should be good. I don't really love it anymore, but it's still really good. I'm just going to keep eating it. That's more similar to food addiction aspect. See, I kind of compare it to that movie with John Candy where he wakes up and he's covered with all kinds of crumbs and wrappers. Uncle Buck. Okay. So never, never mind. I yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't that that's you in the car. Have you seen the backseat of your car? <laughs> I know Jackie has. And and Casey as you're editing, but not really editing this. No, okay. We, we don't edit. Long podcast, but it's the final yeah, we're done with sugar. Final statement. Okay, so the and I'm mechanisms. And i never a Swiss roll again. I'm done. I'll take a picture and post it to some whatever website we're developing. So food and sugar addiction and eating disorder. The mechanism is, again, this reward dysfunction, that impulsivity, and then dietary restraint. You know, the whole thing I just said that was really intelligent. <sighs> That's how they correlate. I'm glad it's over. So no. I so, should have bought Swiss cake rolls or wax donuts to bring here today. Yeah, then I'd that probably eat been, them and fallen asleep. Then y'all would have gotten to hear the Kurt chewing. All right. This One is, of the worst noises ever. People <laughs> chewing. Isn't there a name for that? Charlie Reznikoff said that name of it one time during a podcast we were taping. I have no idea. I don't remember what chewing it was. Mastication is like chewing. I know, but there's a fancy like... You the know. noise of chewing? Yes, there's a name for it. Anyway, yeah. we'll see if Charlie listens to our podcast and calls us with the answer. He's too busy. All right, well, we should probably get done with this one. Okay, so, of course, thank you to our producer, Dr. Patrick Beeman, who's... Taking his boards tomorrow. Taking his boards tomorrow. And then, <clears throat> of course, to Casey Devine, who gets to take Tag this some. and make it sound good and add some music so if you want to listen to battle likes casey's band please check out spotify and thank you to ars longa for joining letting us join your madness <laughs> all right well we will speak at you next week
farewell to my ship as I shouted my terminal plea. Something more comfortable.